I'll tell you what. I just have to say this. Today, I feel very gruntled. I don't know why. I just feel like that's the right time to use the word gruntled. You're just gruntled today? Yeah, I'm just gruntled. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Just gruntled. Not disgruntled. No, absolutely not. Just gruntled. Not upset. Yeah. I don't know what that is. just feels like the word for the mood. Makes sense. I'm extremely... That's a good good emotion. (laughs) Ah, no, not fine. You need to pick another thing that's typically not used unless it's in a negative or whatever super positive connotation. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, I'm whelmed. I'm I'm very whelmed right now. All right, perfect. I'm I'm so whelmed. And welcome to Interface. My name is Andrew Lilja, and with me as always is Chase Mitchell and Ian Fuchs. So Chase, shall the city code be amended to repeal city ordinance number 20151217-075 related to transportation network companies and replace with an ordinance which would repeal and prohibit required fingerprinting, repeal the requirement to identify the vehicle with a distinctive emblem, repeal the prohibition against loading and unloading passengers in a travel lane, and require other regulations for transportation network companies? Nope. So you don't like Lyft and Uber in Austin? Ye- yep. <laughs> I didn't know which way I was supposed to vote, but I assumed that was an Uber thing. <laughs> I don't really give a crap what happens with Uber in Austin because I'm never going to use it in Austin because I don't go to Austin. <laughs> You're going to be sad when we go to the, go to Circuit of the Americas for the Grand Prix in two years when we have enough money to do that and we can't catch a ride. We have to go on Normie Taxi. Yeah, oh, what are you going to do when you see the E1 stuff going on there? Oh, Formula man. E. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, anyway. Jetpack. So, Robo race. All right. So we're all smart people. Some of us figured out what that was for. But uh, how crazy is it that there is an, a voting ordinance that was about like make, uh, restricting Uber and Lyft from operating within a city that never included the word Uber, Lyft, or even ride sharing? It didn't even have the word taxi in it. Well, they need, they need to make it generic enough so that way it applies to all future iterations and incarnations of the service as well right like that's at least that's my taxi ride sharing anything but they didn't but they didn't need to they said they they have the definition of ride sharing in there right didn't they say like to stop and to stop and unload and load passengers it and, is no it's replace an ordinance replace an ordinance that would repeal and prohibit fingerprinting require a distinctive emblem on the vehicle and unloading and loading passengers in a travel lane mm-hmm so only taxis that are licensed can do it today. Is that's that's what it is? No, it's there's a prohibition against loading and unloading passengers in a travel lane. So you'd have to pull uh, off to the side. You have to do it by the side of the road, which is oh, legally yeah. the law right now, as opposed to like being in the middle of the road and doing it. Uh, and fingerprinting, which I guess is for drivers, but it doesn't actually say that. It just says repeat. It would prohibit required fingerprinting. I don't understand like when that actually plays do people have to do that or is that just like to use the app on your iphone you have to use touch id no absolutely no explanation whatsoever this is the full text of proposition one for the city of austin that people voted on and then there's the spanish one below but like compare this to the brexit ballot which says referendum on the united kingdom's membership of the european union and then it gives you instructions for voting which is to put a cross in the box and then it says remain a member of the european union or leave the european union yeah, it's so much better. But all, I mean, they're trying to tackle two different things, though. Too like that's yeah. that's a pretty straightforward binary where the so is this. 
Yeah, but it's a little muckier because it's about they're targeting a person, a private business where the Brexit wasn't. It was a state of like national, like being. I don't know. This is. I'm not, I don't disagree that it's that the Brexit thing is way better. I you know it's just so, hard to deal with private companies. I think that language is just as an important element of design as anything else, and this language has been designed to obscure its true meaning in order to either make people gloss over it and not vote, or to make people vote a way they didn't intend to do. That I agree. That I agree right. with. Because it's, I would say it's malpractice to include, to not include Uber, Lyft, taxis, or ride sharing or anything like that in the law de- that you're voting on, right? Right. Yeah, if that's the it's, common the common terms, right? It's very much designed to mislead the people reading it, so they don't necessarily know what they're voting on. So then you're right. basically casting a blind vote. Right. Yeah. Even as you read it, I thought you were, I thought you were proposing to repeal existing restrictions that exist on that stuff. <laughs> so, right. So, not that you, hopefully you take a little more time to read it if you were voting or you'd know what you're getting into before you go to the booth, but maybe, but yeah, maybe. Yeah. So like just in America, especially, but really everywhere, uh, designing for, for voting and elections and everything like that is really poorly done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, the, both the systems, like the actual systems and services that we use to vote and the methods in which we conduct our votes. Like there's two serious issues. You just talked about a method issue, but that's not even right. considering how people are actually doing it. Right. 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 There's this push for these electronic voting machines, which are just, I, I, they have the potential to be really good, but as they exist right now, they're just black boxes. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you care that it's a black box? I think it's, or I mean, I don't, I guess I don't really care if my voting machine's a black box as long as it's, clear what i'm voting for and my interaction is is like a great experience and the results are i mean i don't know how to well that's what i mean them. right i think like if the results are not what they you expect them to be you have no way of knowing because you just entered into this machine and part of the issue i think with the, mm-hmm. you know, the electronic mm-hmm. voting machines is i don't remember if it was the last presidential election or a couple of presidential elections ago where it would come up and it would say uh who would you like to vote for for president of the united states and you checked one of two boxes or you could check neither and click next and then there were more candidates on the next page uh, and, but, but if you didn't click if you if you chose one of the two initial ones because they were the only two who showed up you never got that next screen to cast a separate vote uh, and so it was like well bad. you can either vote for the democrat or the republican and it, it essentially made it a, a non or made it almost impossible to clearly understand that you wanted to vote if you wanted to vote for a third-party candidate how to do that yeah that's particularly crazy this feels like this situation where bad design is almost illegal it's it's gray for sure i mean it's not illegal it just sounds like someone intentionally made some bad choices so it's illegal to disenfranchise somebody of their ability to vote and if you don't show them all their options but all their options are there. The options are there. Just suppress it. I'm just yeah. It's 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 suppressing it's, it's suppressing the the full opportunity for someone, but it's not preventing it. Which I'm sure is that right. is that gray area, well, that dark right. pattern design that prevents them <laughs> hey. from from maybe casting the vote that they intended to or they thought they were casting. But you or could you argue that it's. To. You could argue that it's hiding it because it's not presenting it all at the same page. Or sure. it's, if not hiding, it's at least saying that these are the people who are more important than these people. Yeah, that's that's exactly what's happening. Or if it was third-party candidates on the second page, you could say they're actually doing a public service and encouraging people not to throw their votes away. <laughs> all right. I said it only half-jokingly. <laughs> 
this is a weird year to joke about it. Um, <laughs> no <yeah>. kidding. <laughs> well, so Clay Shirky was pointing this out on Twitter. The Green Party is a party that exists to take donations and turn them into thanks because that's all they do. The Green Party has never had an elected official. Out of 5,411 tries, they've had zero elected seats in the House, and uh, they have had zero out of almost 2,000 tries in the Senate. That's a whole other ball of wax. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But they they have a track record of zero for everything they've tried to do. So how about voting machines? How about these voting machines? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, so here I'll throw this out there. So just in the spirit of like non-black box voting machines, what would be interesting, um, and I don't know if it's possible, but you could potentially have like a Bitcoin style setup for voting, like where you have your unique ID and it's tied to your vote, and you could track that it exists, right? Like it was counted and does exist within the population. Sure. You mean like a social security number? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it would be. <laughs> That'd be really challenging that, to do. Having having like, you know, driver's license IDs or social security numbers or all those other things that in some way are like, they're, you know, we don't even get into voter ID law and all that stuff. But like, right. I don't but, know what the right answer but is. All but all citizens of, of like the United States have a social security box. number. Not everyone has an ID. And I can understand that not being the thing, but everyone in theory should have a social security number. Yeah. If they're a citizen should, of the country. Sorry. I'm just thinking of some recent episode of, I don't know what show it was I listened to, but the girl who was like born in Texas and didn't, her parents didn't like, you know, she was, had a home birth and didn't have any shots to go to the doctor. So she had no identity <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. This was, there is a, a social security bill that was passed in Texas. So yeah. I can't was, remember it was where, for this, it was recently struck for this down. girl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's challenging and it gets even more challenging when you work in a place or when you live in a place that doesn't just have two parties like Australia where they have many, many, many. Mm-hmm. And this is a actually the Australian Senate ballot is a great example of good design that goes widely off the rails. So the way it works is that uh, it's a wide piece of paper and it's split half long ways. So the top half has a party you can vote for, and the bottom half has candidates you can vote for, and they're arranged in columns by party. So like all the Democrats will be in one column, all the Republicans will be another one, uh, all the Australian motoring enthusiasts, which is an actual party in Australia, will be in so another good. column. It's really good. It's really good. So what that means is you can either vote quote above the line uh, where you just vote for a straight party ticket, or you can vote below the line where you rank the candidates you want from one to the, the end. Why? Why do you rank them? Because that's just how they do it. Because oh, okay. they because they have it's not just like a split. It's not a bicameral legislature. They have a way where you can have different parties in power. I don't know. It's one of those crazy parliamentary systems. Okay. Uh, and this works really well because it means that you can either vote for a party or you can rank the people you actually want to vote for. So that gives you a lot of options and control over what you want to do. Uh, the problem is that there's been a proliferation of political parties in Australia, so that now the ballot is almost four feet long. Uh, and there are more people to rank than you could possibly keep in your head at once. Hmm. That's so you move beyond like the four or five discrete pieces of information, right? And right. You're getting, and you're getting into the, the danger zone. Um, right. And because it's become so complicated, it's given people the ability to, so people don't bother voting below the line cause it's too much work to do that. So they typically just vote a straight party ticket uh, but that means that these parties have been manipulating who they have on the ballot based right. on who they think people are going to vote for. So people right. will vote for people they didn't actually think they were voting for. It gets really complicated. Oh, that is complicated and a mess. Sounds like good intentions gone awry. Right. Because it's a system that would work really well if you only have like four or five parties. Sure. But now when you have, I think it's like 
40, 42, something like that. It's just untenable. Yeah. Um, and so the American Association for Design, or the, the American Institute of Graphic Design, I don't know, AGA, uh, has this section called Design for Democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have field guides to ensuring voter intent, which is just how like you design usable ballots, writing instructions that voters can understand, effective poll workers' materials, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really useful way or interesting way of looking at what the – at least what they think the state of the art in election design is and then how far other things fall from that. Hmm. There's a whole section in here on testing ballots for usability. Um, which is all about, it's basically like doing usability tests with ballots and it's basic stuff, but it, it, it expresses it in a way that anybody who's trying to create and run an election can use without having to have a lot of background or knowledge. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. This, you need like no nonsense guidelines about this type of stuff. I'm just like, I currently was looking at the, some stuff from the journal, uh, the journal of democracy, which Ooh. I have no idea how legit that is or whatever, but, um, I mean, they apparently have actual pubs that are all related to different things, and there's um, obviously a lot of voting interface usability talk. But yeah, there should just be some basic usability guidelines. It feels like our general usability vo- usability guidelines could just be <laughs> applied and things would be a lot better than what they currently are, or at least the horror stories that you see on the news. Right, right. But I mean, even like make it clear and give people control, like the Australian one did, because you look at this ballot and it's actually like, I would say it's pretty easy to understand. Mm-hmm even that becomes too hard to use once you have enough, enough options for people to choose from, then you get mm-hmm. like the paradox of choice. And now you have to deal with this piece of paper that's four feet long. Right. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you have to have some common sense, uh, restrictions and compromise when you have that type of thing. So like when you get to the four foot long ballot, right. Or whatever, you need to know that this works up to a point, but after right. a page, then we need to consider how do we abstract this one more level or something. But what do you do? Yeah, I don't know. This is, yeah, I don't know. It, it just feels like we need, it feels like you need some basic guidelines. First, you need to have guidelines for the usability of the system itself that you need to follow, like present options clearly, present all options clearly, provide clear feedback, right? Like basic tenets of usability. Yeah. And then, um, and then you would potentially, then you need to start tailoring it to whatever your system is. So if you have a system where you have eight potential equally valid candidates or something, you're going to need to think of something that presents all those options on an equal playing field, or at least, you know, you attempt to. And then if you only have two options, like, so if you think of the American system where we're a largely a two party system with a smattering of third party, you still need to think of a way to present those, you know, present the others without having them hide behind the options, you know, buttoners. Right. And I think, right. I think that right. kind of situation, right. you, you just have to treat all options as equals. Like, yeah, that's fine. We're, we're yes, we are generally a two-party system, but if there's eleven candidates running for president at the time that the election rolls around in November, that meet the criteria. Let right, all right. eleven be on the ticket altogether. Yes, you're probably going to put yeah, the the main two first and second. That would make sense. Yep. Or you alphabetize yeah, everybody, and then that gets confusing because people complain. But but you have some sure, some it, pattern that you follow through the entire ballot, and you just treat every candidate as an equal party in the, the, the process. But you say, like, put the first two first and second. How, you just, how do you decide who goes first and who goes second? Is yeah. it based on alphabetical? Is it based on 538? Right. But then, yeah, you know, people right. typically vote for the first things or we'll choose the first or second options and not if, the later these ones. Are like, this is silly because it's electronic, so the best design is to randomize it. 
for that, that would be good. I suppose with an electronic uh, voting machine, then people would complain sure. that they look at it and they don't see their candidate in the first two. So they, do they abandon it? I mean, how often does that happen where you give somebody six options, they read the first two and they're like, neither of those apply to me. Move on. No, I think I would hope well, in an actually, election, it, people are a little more serious about it than that, but Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. So this is another case in Australia because uh, I, I follow Tristan Cook, uh, who does a lot of work uh, in election design and design in general in Australia. And he talks about changing the Australian census because uh, they suspected they were getting inaccurate results about religion data because of the way the question was laid out. So the way it was initially was it was a big list of major religions and then other they had the big box you could fill in. And then below that was another bubble for no religion. And what he suspected was that because of all the priming and the framing and because no religion looked like it was separated from the rest of the question, people were not actually uh, filling this question out. Uh, and, they, and they were getting they're getting inaccurate results as a, uh, as a result of that. And so what they found is that total missing answers to that question was the fourth most common choice people made by not answering the question at all. So they redesigned the question so that you can either the first thing it asks you is if you identify with an organized religion. Mm -hmm. You can say yes, no. If you say yes, then you answer a sub question, I assume. Yeah. This is a this is not exactly the same, but it, it reminds me a little bit of the that trust engineers episode about um Facebook where you know, you're trying to report feedback on a, you know, there's like a Christmas photo that Ian puts up of the three of us. And I don't like the way that I look in the photo because that. I'm very self-conscious and I would like to, you know, take, take that photo down, but I don't want to confront Ian cause I'm also a coward. So I, it happens. I just report the photo for having, you know, having like inappropriate something, like content or whatever, but because the options are like inappropriate content or other, I'm just going to choose inappropriate content and then submit it because it's the easiest right. thing. When really what I want to say is I don't like the photo of me. Right. Yeah, people will use whatever tools they have access to to do the things they want to do, even if they're not the right tools. I've, even, yeah, but in even in the but most importantly, in the easiest way for them. Right. I right. do believe that right. has changed uh, with relation to Facebook. I think now if you go oh, to no, that's it's yeah, it's yeah, I say when you yeah. go to report like a photo now, it's, it's like the one of the first options that shows up in that first list is I don't like how I look in this picture. Right. And then yeah, it's like, right. and, and, and then it like lets you send a message to the person to be like, Hey, and it like pre-populates the text. Hey, I don't like, like how I yes. look in this picture yeah. link to picture. Could yeah. you please untag me and or remove it? Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. Yep. So, I mean, a lot of it's just this, I mean, priming is something to do with the ease of use of the system is definitely important visibility. I mean, but like everything we've talked about is just stupid. It's just basic usability principles. So it's really, but it's, it's really silly when the things that determine, you know, very high ranking office are, you know, these contracts are given to small firms that don't really make consumer level software and they do a shitty job. Right. Or it's just given to the intern or the person who happens to know the most, the most about Microsoft Word. I, or, I'm, I'm betting it's more like the friend of whoever's in charge of it for the state, right, or whatever. Right. It, it, right. Is it not possible that some of these decisions are made intentionally? Like, like for example, oh, no, the for sure. the hiding third party candidates on a separate page from your primary two candidates in an election. You sure. know that somebody looked at that and said, "This is the best way to do this," because then people are less likely, like you said specifically, Andrew, like people are less likely to vote for those third party candidates and quote waste their vote unquote uh, to right. to to bury those, so they are less likely to be selected, which is hopefully going to drive up your other two candidates votes i mean some of those decisions are made intentionally but 
like Jay said, they have a huge potential impact on high-ranking office, on national security, on the the ability to get a non-taxi taxi in a city. You could argue that uh, poor design led directly to the Iraq War. I, I know the story, so you're gonna have to elaborate. In that. <laughs> I say so. You the could. butterfly ballots in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, were designed so originally the way it works is you have this this spine of a book that you punch holes out of mm-hmm. uh, next to the name of the person you're voting for. Are you talking about the hanging chad problem? Uh, the hanging chad. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. And the problem was that uh, there were too many candidates to fit on one page, so they had to spread them across two pages, and then it became sort of an every other, every other sort of thing. Right. And that was confusing people to understand, especially because the spine of the book kept moving as you flip forwards. Uh, and uh, the hanging chads, because not everything was fully punched out, so some of the things were hanging around, and they weren't sure if they should count that. The, a chad, I found this out, is the little perforated piece of paper that gets punched out of a hole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were literally hanging on, so they didn't know how to count these votes. Well, the machine couldn't read it, because they right. were through a reader. Yeah. And so the, uh, the results in Florida were uh, highly contested, and a lot of votes were thrown out because they couldn't interpret them, or they thought that people voted the wrong way. Right. And then Bush, Iraq War, you go from there. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's one potentially huge ramification of having a crappy voting system, right? A crappy voting system and, and using uh, what I would consider kind of antiquated technology to... Absolutely. To mm-hmm. do something that could be done, in theory, much less... <laughs> ...coupably than, <laughs> than other <laughs> options... <laughs> Um, yeah, that if, if it had been electronic or, uh, I know like Illinois ballots, they give you a, a marker that's specific to whatever this machine reads and you fill in a dot. Yeah. And if you opt to remove that vote, they specifically say, put a large X through it and then cast your other vote. And then somehow the system machine can read that vote or it flags right. it as mm-hmm. this is an unknown and then someone can look at it. But they they say like the X has to be larger than this size for it to read it. Otherwise, it's going to treat it as a marked box or a marked dot or whatever. Oh. And you know, all that sounds weird. awful. It's so we had a similar thing in our our voting sheets here, except it's a bubble you fill in. It just says fill in all the way, mm-hmm. and then it gets read by a machine. And like I said, ours this is ours like, is a fill in the bubble. But if you if you accidentally fill in the wrong bubble, this is how to undo that vote. Oh, oh, so this oh, is oh, oh, oh. this see. is the I changed my mind. And so again, you're using this this weird antiquated technology. Why not just use a computer and good software that's well written and somehow well monitored and not hackable or whatever something yeah. something not online possibly and. The, the problem is that like voting is this hyper-intense microcosm of all the issues surrounding computer technology right now, right? Like You have to ensure voter intent and make sure that you're not forcing them into something that they don't want to do, while at the same time being secure, while also being private. And it's really, those last two are, are, it's a fine line to walk. And it's hard for big companies who are doing this every day to get right. I can't imagine that people who aren't being paid that much can do it very well either. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's, uh, let's take a break. This week's episode of Interface is brought to you by America Votes with CardsAgainstHumanity.com. Today, we're letting America choose between two new expansion packs for either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. 
At the end of this promotion, Cards Against Humanity will tally up the sales of both packs, and depending on which pack gets more support, they will donate all of the money in support of Hillary Clinton's campaign. Again, you can make your voice heard by going to AmericaVotesWithCardsAgainstHumanity.com and buying either the Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump expansion packs for your Cards Against Humanity game. So, electronic voting machines. Ian, you're a bigger fan of them than I am. I I like the idea of doing anything we can to make the process of voting less cumbersome and hopefully less prone to being, I don't know, it's really, it really comes down to trying to simplify things. And I feel like giving someone a screen with six options, 10 options, whatever, and saying, pick the one you want, letting them pick it. And if, if you're smart about it, let them pick the option they want and then click next. Don't just automatically go next when they touch the screen because that's bad. Because if they accidentally miss, they have arthritis, whatever, they touch the screen, they're off by one. People get mad. So let them touch the option they want and, and cast the vote for that particular thing. Then move on to the next. Here's the next option. Cast vote. Because otherwise you get this giant ballot and it's there's so many options, there's so much text, all of a sudden it becomes overwhelming. You talked about Brexit and how it's a super simple paper ballot it was like a third of a sheet of paper and it was what is your vote yes stay no leave or whatever and it was like two options i want that simplicity for all elections and to me doing something electronically makes the most sense to make it that simple right right but i also completely understand the concern with uh, some of the security and stuff like that with electronic voting right how do you ensure and how do you make people comfortable with the idea that their vote is going to be tallied correctly? Yeah. I don't know. It feels like, it feels like you need some type of public accountability. So, I mean, I don't know how here. just bear with me for like fantasy voting here. You go up to the booth, you have whatever, you have your five options laid out or whatever happens to be Lego less Gimli. And that's right. And so you've decided to take the ring. You will bear the burden and you go to vote (laughs) as you go to vote. You're standing at the edge of Mount doom and, uh, Uh, no. So you go to vote, right. And it gives you a feedback screen, like Ian mentions. And, um, you know, you, we can either confirm or like you, if it's right, you move forward or it could even be a similar, like, like three second countdown or something, but whatever, some type of feedback. But then after you vote, like when there needs to be some moment where you clearly submit and you're done and you could see the total for your precinct actually change with your vote. Right. And like have some type of like public accountability with that. Yeah. But how do you, how do you do that public accountability? Here's an idea. Hmm. In blended technology make the vote digital i like analog (laughs) um make the vote digital so they they cast it on the computer they hit submit and then it prints out their ballot now it's paper but everything is marked correctly for what they cast on the computer they can now review the ballot make sure that it shows their stuff and then they put it in the machine but it's it's only a matter of seconds more work because the actual paper could already be pre-filled out and all it has to do is go and mark all the boxes for you. And then you put it in the machine just like you would any other ballot. And now they feel like, okay, I put this paper in the machine that now counts. I feel you on that one. But the, my worry still is like uh, – so I, that one, that is, that's a really nice way of making sure that like my vote was uh, – not tallied, but like – It was received. My ballot is correct. 
Right. It was no. It was not not received. It was that it was filled out the way I intended it to be filled out. Yeah. But like it could say at the top, like I'm voting for blah blah blah. But the worry is then you put it in the machine and that's the black box. So now there's no way of guaranteeing that my votes actually going to be tallied correctly. You know what I you know what I would like, and I, this is this is troubling because because of social like. Um, dynamics and who uses these services but like to help sort of alleviate some of that problem because first of all i don't think you're going to get to it like unless you come up with some like public accountability way like a bitcoin-esque like blockchain where you see exactly where your vote goes and everybody's always tallied all the time right because the chain has to be complete for the number of people like unless you do like that amount of transparency there'll always be someone claiming like you know crying foul so you could do something to help alleviate it though where like there could be like Okay, I'm going to say it. a QR code, but there could be something mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. pops up after you like you're done voting. You something bring your terrible. phone out, scan it. No, no, I mean just bear with me. It could work. Okay, and then you I could choose to identify your like here. You tweet out your vote and be like, "I voted for these were the results at the time. Here's my location." Like all whatever like accountability data you could possibly have, and someone if you had like any small number of people who did that through Twitter, you might be able to have some type of nice accountability metrics. Like at this time, this was the vote at this time. This was the vote. I also think something like that could be nice if, if it gave you essentially a receipt for your vote that you could then go online at any point in time and you could submit it. Yeah. No, you, oh, you could, that, no, 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 that's what I'm, no, you could yeah, go and verify at, yeah. your information. So you cast your vote, you walk out, you yeah. go home and that night they're going through the, the, they're tallying up everything and you go, I wonder if my vote is in there yet. And you type in whatever this number is, or you scan this code or whatever it is. And it yeah, comes exactly. back and it says, uh, your voter ID number, whatever, whatever was cast for these candidates. And now you can verify the candidates that I voted for are in the federal system, whatever this online system is. And you can see that your vote is there. Yeah. Now, that's whatever. It, yeah, the, yeah. It, it, yeah. It just and then you can also see the totals and that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. I still, I think it's important to have the snapshot too. Like at the time you voted, these were the totals because then you could possibly, you could potentially do some nice like backtracking to see if things made sense. Like you could look at trajectory and see if votes are like, you know, screwed up or whatever, like the whole Florida problem. But yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. A public accountability version of like, Hey, did my vote count? Right. Yep. And it seems relatively simple. And I, I have jokingly say QR code, but I don't know if there's a better solution really. Like you could enter, you could choose to enter your email and get a link to it. Something, right. You need some form of like. You need to connect yourself in an opt-in manner to your right. vote because it doesn't have to be mandatory. Right. But it has to be decoupled from some sort of government ID. But it has to be decoupled. Yeah. So it'd be like a unique ID generated for this election. For the election. Right. Yeah. Right. For this. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it wouldn't be necessarily the same one from election to election. You'd, yeah. There's like a receipt you would get. I think Absolutely. that would be really neat. Yeah. So a voting receipt. Um, that, that's the solution to all of this. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense to me. But the other cool thing that electronic voting would allow is... Uh, people who can't or won't leave their houses could vote, and that could potentially increase the voter turnout. Yeah, that's definitely something. I mean, you have to get through the whole. Now you have to think about how you're really not going to get spoofed. Um, I think that's harder because why can't I just hire somebody to like, you know, have a hundred thousand computers that are idle in North America or whatever, like with social security numbers or whatever your mechanism for identification is go back and fake ID. And I realize that false voter, you know, false voting and fake voting with voter fraud is not an issue. It's current. Let's, you know, that's not well, an issue right now. It's not because you have to show up in person. Exactly. It's right. Based on our paradigm right now, like this is the infrastructure that we have for voting. But if you introduce the stay at home and vote thing, you would, it would raise some new concerns. Right. Right. And so yeah, there's always the security issue, especially when it comes to something as important as a vote. Yeah, I would I would ask like I guess the basic question to ask, and this isn't 
for us to answer, but like would the population who utilize the state home voting represent a non like would they would they be biased toward one candidate or another typically or do they represent a pretty general the shut-in party <laughs> that's it the yeah. old the old shutties <laughs> shutting the door on issues those guys i mean but um would they be something would they be a different bias than our general population in voting and then if so then you'd have to you know you'd, i mean you want to account for them don't get me wrong but if they were the same right. I'd be less concerned about including them that's i don't mean any offense but but no, there's also that. to to be fair though, like what we're talking about already exists in a more difficult manner, which is the you know um, mail your vote in ahead of time, right? So right. you could improve right. that you system, right? Out. Like that would be the way to do it. Um, I think I think the other like our big recommendations then with voting are that you need to follow basic usability principles because you want your system to be usable. You need to be as so as usable as pro- as possible. You also need to be as neutral as possible, right? And if you want to get away from priming mm-hmm. effects and different, um, you know, like default psychology issues. So like, can you? I mean, could you imagine going to the voting booth and like the default checkbox is checked for right. Ben Carson, right? Like like some I'm trying to pick someone random, but like a Ben Carson. And people don't get like, oh, okay. I bet he would get some non-marginal number of votes if he was the default box, right? Or right. Whatever. You, you sure, can't. Absolutely. You can't have something yeah. checked by default. Right. Exactly. It absolutely. That's why it has to be. The, it has to be the most the most neutral possible. Neutral, usable, right. and then have some form of security. But I don't know what that is. Yeah. Which that or accountability. Like I said, the, the security thing to me is, is is the only reason I'd suggest that the print out the paper thing yeah. for your yeah, actual yeah, yeah. thing and and even because then the actual machine itself would not have to be network connected so now somebody can't hack it and change the votes yeah although things jumping air gaps are becoming more and more common yeah but that's yeah i think that's less of a concern in 2016 2020 like i mean maybe maybe i, 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 I realize i recognize it's a thing but yeah hopefully it's not as big you know it would have to be such a crazy you know what? I guess if there was like a center, like central aggregated place that all the votes got counted, yeah, right. But if and it's like every place in little county across the country, because that's how most of them handle but, it yeah. right now is each precinct. You could pick. You could pick the controversial ones. Oh, yeah. yeah. My concern is like so. There's certain kinds of malware where if they get infected on your computer, you just can never trust that machine for secure things ever again. Yeah. Like yeah. what happens if like a certain percentage of like three to five percent of all voting machines are infected with something? Yeah, like, that's terrible. Yeah. Can you yeah. Just, do you have to throw away the results for your entire election now? Yeah. Yeah, these are good questions. I think I think the, the better thing to do would be treat it like silverware when you go to the the gas station. You don't reuse the silverware. You throw it out at the end of the thing, and when you go back the next time, you get brand new. Just like the voter ID number that they give you on your receipt, the voting machine is a fresh machine every time. Yeah, we like that, but I think mm-hmm. when you go into any government-owned building or entity, oh. you'd cry at the amount of – like the – the age and state but of their equipment. You have to remember these, really these machines don't have to be fancy machines, but because if they're not, no, you could have Android tablets. Right? Right? If, if they're no, not no, no, network no. connected, there they could literally be the uh, a Raspberry Pi that's thirty five dollars mm-hmm. that runs the whole thing. I hope they could even lower tech. What if you had like machines that just have like integrated circuits l- printed on a piece of paper? Yeah. With a, like um, a like two physical buttons or something, yeah, something like that. I don't know something that's like a a, a computer only like in the Turing complete sense of the word sure. that is disposable when you're done with it. So your entire ballot maybe is a computer or something like that. Something that like you wouldn't have to worry about infecting because it doesn't have firmware or whatever firmware it has is really basic. And then when you're done with it, you just throw it away. Yeah, I think it'd be harder to implement, but something like that. I I still imagine like iPads for every voting center or something would be a nice solution. 
I mean, it's also wait, so expensive. Apple's giving away about a zillion dollars worth of stuff to schools, right? That stuff could you could uh, vote with it, and then they could go to schools or something like oh, that. There you go. Repurpose. There you go. Wipe it and reset. Go ahead and uh, file that under the the promises for Trump's next run. <laughs> it's going to be a huge reformatting of voter rights. Huge. Stop. You can find show notes for this week's episode at interface.fm slash 22. While you're there, you can find links to all of our social things. And as always, thank you for being a listener or subscriber. We'll be back next Monday and every Monday. Like clockwork. Super Mario Run. Oh my god. How upset are you that it's not an Android? No, I don't give a shit about it not being an Android. I always assumed that if, if uh, Nintendo was going to go exclusive, they'd go iOS. It, the aesthetic fits. Yup. Because it's good. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Although, absent from the entire thing, they didn't actually ever say Apple TV. But I can't imagine it won't be on the Apple TV. Because it, it's seriously just like a, a single button. And that's the thing that's weird about it. Is it's got Unlike... Be the old mario where you could like go forward and backwards this looks like you're you're just it's it's like flappy bird or tiny wings where it's it's just moving left to right yeah right. and you tap to jump or whatever so or that seems yeah. or, or alto's adventure that's what it's like it's alto's adventure please tell me you know alto's adventure uh, yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely it's like no i yeah we, you talked about it here before yeah fantastic game you can get notified on the App Store about when it's going to show up. I sent, like, I did that. I sent you that screenshot. Yeah. Oh, is that, is that where I found out about it? Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, I found out about it the right way. I went to the App Store, searched it, and it said, get notified. I thought I saw it on Twitter. Where, where did you send this? On whatever Slack channel we were talking about it yesterday. I did not notice it yesterday. Right, I skipped your conversation. We were talking about the Rex. fucking thing. <laughs> We're talking about the most important thing that happened yesterday, Chase. The Nike watch. <laughs> oh, I saw a little bit of that. I was going to make a joke about it being PlayStation, but I can't even get on board with that train. <laughs> like, their reveal was everything that everyone else predicted. Um, I really want that porcelain watch. But with the Nike watch band. Ceramic. All right. <laughs> Let's talk about this, because I need to make a call in 15 minutes. <laughs> Chase has responsibilities. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba-ba.